0: Hi, everybody. My name is Danny, and I'm your host of Rainbow Mormon Podcast, a podcast about being gay in a Mormon world. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating. You can also find us on Facebook at Rainbow Mormon Podcast. Uh, Visit our website and make a donation. That's how we keep things going. And you can find that at rainbowmormon.org. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear comments, uh, thoughts, opinions, etc. And please send me an email at rainbowmormon at gmail.com. Just a couple other things before we dive in. First off, I'm going to put this in the description of this podcast, but I'm doing some research about suicide in Utah. And right now I have about 700 respondents to a survey, and I'd like to get a thousand. I'm missing a few demographics that... Whether you fit in this or not, please take it. But if you do fit in one of these demographics, that's even better. But the demographics, I need more men. I need more heterosexual uh, people. Uh, people who did not grow up in Utah and people who are not raised Mormon. So if you fit any of those or all of those, i uh, love for you to take the survey. If you don't, please take the survey anyways. I'd like to get as many people as possible to give us the most uh, comprehensive view of Uh, what's going on with the suicide problem in Utah. So if you could do that, that would be great. And thank you. One other thing before we dive into today's topic. Uh, From last time, I had an email from a listener who was asking about, in in there I talked about the terms um, same gender attraction versus same sex attraction. He said, and I had mentioned that those are different, and he asked what if I could explain what the difference is. So I'd like to just start with with doing that. Talk about the differences of those. First of all, what what is that where did those come from? I don't know exactly where they come from, but that term same sex attraction tends to be a term that is used in a lot of reparative therapy circles and it's been used in the LDS church a lot. And they used to say same sex attraction. Some people are very they bristle to that term because it's typically used for those who don't want to allow being gay to be part of their identity but just something that they experience so in a sense it kind of pathologizes it um but um, i don't necessarily have a problem with it In that, i think from a clinical perspective it just kind of describes what it is it's um, attraction to the same sex but the church used to say that same sex attraction is how they they described homosexuality you will rarely hear the term gay even on the mormon and gay website but they say same-sex attraction. And then you saw this shift where the church kind of stopped using the term same-sex attraction and started saying same-gender attraction. And from what I've heard, it was that they felt that that term same-sex attraction, they didn't want to use the word sex basically. So they started saying same-gender attraction. So how are those different? We have to look at how sex and gender are different. Sex is a biological thing. You have an XY chromosome or an XX chromosome, Um, XY, you're biologically male, that is your sex. Um, XX chromosome, you're biologically female. And there are variations in that that I'm not going to dive into right now. You know, There are lots of people that are born intersex, where it's not quite sure, but it's basically your biological uh, sex, that's what we're talking about with sex. Gender is more how a culture looks at being male or female what behaviors, what clothing, what responsibilities are assigned to each gender. So what, what describes a certain gender is gonna differ from culture to culture because it's not the same from one place to another. And so when we're talking about attraction, typically people who are gay or lesbian, the term same-sex attraction would more describe that because if we're talking about gender, um, gender is do I, I mean, stereotypically, if I am male, if my gender is male, then that means I'm going to dress in stereotypically masculine clothes, I'm going to play football, I'm going to do what is expected of me from my culture if I am male. But typically someone who's who's gay is attracted to the biological sex, um, the the body of a man. That is what they're attracted to. A lesbian is attracted to a woman's body. Now there may be some aspects of gender in that, but typically like me as a gay man if there is a woman who acts very stereotypically masculine that's not something i'm attracted to i i'm attracted to the male body and so i am same sex attracted i'm not same gender attracted cuz i could be attracted to a guy who you know is a uh, ballet dancer for example that is something that is stereotypically seen as a feminine thing so there may be aspects of his gender that are more in the feminine the female realm but his body is uh, is male and that's what I find physically attractive um, so now there may be aspects of certain uh, qualities in a person um, their gender that I might be more drawn to than others but typically when we're talking about a gay person they are same-sex attracted because it's the the body a male's body that they find attractive if you it was just based on gender, then it would be a lot more about how the person lives their life that I'm attracted to rather than the physical, physical body. And there are people who um, find that someone who's pansexual, for example, is attracted to people of, of all different, basically regardless of sex, they're attracted to the person. Um, regardless of that person is male, female, trans male, trans female, and so they're attracted to just whoever. So I hope that answers that question. If not, shoot me another email. I'll try to clarify that. If you feel like I was wrong, please let me know. I, I'm trying to always learn, and I know that I don't always uh, get things right. So that out of the way, let's move into our topic for today. Last episode, episode four, was about conversion therapy, kind of the history of that and how it has moved into the church. Uh, today, I want to kind of talk about my own journey a little more I've shared a little bit about that in episode one uh, I want to go into a little more detail in in this episode and mainly talk about my experiences with conversion therapy uh, so if you haven't listened to it go back and listen to episode four it'll give you some context to what we're going to be talking about here I'm talking from my perspective so this is going to be from a very male perspective LDS gay male, uh, perspective so this might not fit you if you are a woman and this might not fit you anyways this is my experience and so that's what I'm going to be speaking from but it, my experience isn't far off from a lot of men that I just people not just men but gay and lesbian people that I know who are raised in the church so so I'll share my experience and hopefully that helps you understand a little bit better what that experience is like. people. Um, If your experience is different, I'd love to hear from you. Let's dive in. I was um, born in Provo, Utah. Um, My parents met at Brigham Young University. I'm a very um, LDS story, probably a little different in that my dad absolutely loves BYU, bless his heart. Love my dad. Um, He was a hardcore BYU guy. My mom, on the other hand, she had just moved to Provo after living in Africa for most of her high school She lived in a country called Lesotho in Africa, and so she was going through a bit of a culture shock coming back to the United States, and especially at BYU, and she um, does not have a lot of fond memories of BYU, but they they met, they got married, and started a family. I'm the second of four kids in my family. Um, I have a sister who's about three years older than me, Uh, but I was born in uh, Provo, Utah, and if you're unfamiliar with that, that's the city where Brigham Young University is that I mentioned, which is a an LDS Church-owned school. From there, I'm just going to kind of skip forward to where things start to matter. As I got a little bit older, I um, I always connected really well with my mom. I love my mom. I love my dad, but just had a lot in common uh, with my mom. Uh, we've always connected on music and interests and those kinds of things. And I definitely have had connections with my dad. Those came we had. A, Started having a lot more in common as I got into my teenage years, um, but as a young kid, I connected a lot with my with my mom. Spent a lot of time with her growing up. Although my mom is has a bit more of a liberal perspective, you know, she's pretty open minded. She's a vegetarian, artist. Uh, we were still raised very um, LDS Mormon. And we went to church every Sunday, so I've been doing that since I was a little kid. It's it's interesting in that. I don't, I don't believe it was ever explicitly taught to me that being gay was wrong. I don't ever remember hearing that in church, but that message somehow got to me. Um, my parents didn't speak badly about gay people. In fact, I remember one time in elementary school, some kids at school had been playing a game um, with the football. And I say this, and this is very derogatory, but I'm saying this so you know the context, but the game was called Smear the Queer. And I came home and I told my mom, she asked how my day had been. I told her that I played this game at school and I said it, what it was called. And right there she told me, you know, that's, I don't want you using that term. And I said, why? And she said, because it's not a kind term. It's talking about a certain group of people and that's not very, very kind. And while that term has been adopted by the LGBTQ community, it at the time it was not. It was a very derogatory term for gay people Um, I actually had no idea what it meant when she told me that I just said okay and I didn't say it anymore I later learned what that that meant and which is really cool that my mom a conservative growing up in a conservative state in Utah an LDS woman recognized knew what that was recognized it was unkind and corrected me so thank you mom Um, I don't think she's listening but thank you so she's very open-minded and I was never taught that at home my dad didn't teach me anything negative about gay people uh, but somehow I got this message that it's wrong and I believe that just comes from being LDS in the church we're taught that family is the most important thing and that our goal is to become to grow up and get married in the temple and to have a family and that's always presented in terms of a heterosexual couple that we will grow up and marry the opposite sex and have a family with that person and so I think the message just as a little kid just kind of gets in your head that that's how it is I don't even think I realized that being gay was a possibility while my mom didn't my parents didn't talk negatively about it, it was never something that I was introduced to at no fault of their own I think it's just something that wasn't wasn't brought up because there wasn't a reason for it to come up When you start to get older in the church you start they do start to be a little more um, explicit about this topic of homosexuality and it is taught a lot more as i got into my teenage years i was introduced to as all uh, mormon youth are to the strength of youth pamphlet and the strength of youth pamphlet if you're not aware is just a, a little booklet that has basically standards for for youth Um, Things that we should do, it talks about, you know, physical and emotional health, music and dancing, language, friends, family, education, you know, dress and appearance, media. Uh, But one of the sections is sexual purity. Every week in our youth meeting at church, we would read a section out of this growing up. And so I don't know how many times this specific thing, I, I heard this. One of the paragraphs in that section Addresses homosexuality and it says homosexual and lesbian behavior is a serious sin If you find yourself struggling with same gender attraction or you are being persuaded to participate in inappropriate behavior Seek counsel from your parents and bishop. They will help you once again There's not a a ton, but I mean the rest of these sections in here just talk about what a serious sin sexual sin is and That there should be no sexual interactions outside of marriage that this is a sacred thing that we're able to to do and so there's a lot of kind of um really sex negative attitude that having sexual feelings it doesn't really even talk about how normal it is it just talks about stay away from it stay away from it stay away from it and then has a whole special paragraph about how homosexuality is a serious sin so we're talking about how serious of a sin sexual sin is and then basically homosexuality is the worst of those so I know I got that message there and then you know occasionally I'd hear it here and there but it wasn't something that was talked real blatantly about other than that just reading things I don't know that I it was ever said to me but I definitely knew that it was wrong at least from my my religious perspective right about the time when most uh, people start experiencing you know sexuality I was right right there about 13 years old I know that I started having sexual thoughts and sexual interests started having sexual dreams things that are pretty normal for that that time of life and I remember being kind of distressed in that it wasn't happening the way it was supposed to happen I was noticing guys a little bit and you know I don't even really remember having a You know, crush on anyone growing up, but I definitely know that I, we had gotten the internet. This was back in, you know, early mid 90s, and we had gotten the internet. And I remember looking at um, just shirtless pictures of shirtless guys and things like of that nature online, and really enjoying that and being confused. And I remember telling myself like, I'm not gay. Like I'm just, I was, and this was true. I was very insecure about my body as it was changing, and I just wanted to know that it was normal. And I actually would never let myself see anybody totally naked. Um, that was a boundary I had for myself. But I wanted to just make sure I was, I was developing normally, um, which looking at adult models is probably not the best way for a you know, 13 year old to feel normal about his body. But that's what I thought. And I think I genuinely believed it. I didn't think I was gay. The The thought would cross my mind occasionally, but I would say to myself, you know what, I bet other people do this. And I remember having a lot of curiosity about my friends. Like, what do they look like naked? Like, and, you know, is the way my body developing the same way that their body's developing? Just a curiosity in them. And, wanting to see that. And I think I I really felt that it was just me being curious about my changing body. So go up through high school, still never had any interaction with a guy. I had a girlfriend in high school. Uh, we dated on and off from 10th grade all the way up until early adulthood. You know, I really liked her. We, She was a great friend. I thought she was really attractive. But uh, looking back, and this I see pretty common in a lot of men I talk to when they when gay men talk about a woman that they're attracted to if you ask them at least I've seen this with Mormon gay men and they say you know I'm really into this girl they're trying to convince themselves that they're straight one thing that you'll hear them oftentimes say is you say well what do you find attractive and they go and they describe nothing below the neck it's always about the eyes or the the shape of her face, color of her hair, and maybe something about her skin, but never anything about her actual you know body, the shape of her body. It's very, seems very innocent and very non-sexual. And that's how it was. And I remember when I was 16, from a lot of pressure from my friends, I had my first kiss and it wasn't a bad experience, but I wasn't as into it as she was. It was clear after that happened that she wanted that more, and I would go along with it sometimes, but I just didn't have the desire for it. You know, it would be months and months in between kissing her. A lot of times I'd have to gear myself up, like it's New Year's Eve, and you know, I need to kiss her at midnight, and so I'd gear myself up for that, but I I still didn't attribute it to that. I I saw it as, you know, I'm just a really good kid, and I'm not interested in this. I don't want to look at Porn and I don't want to do these things because I'm just I'm a good kid and you know I don't know why the other guys can't control themselves um, I can control myself just fine and big part of that was is that I wasn't being honest with myself that I'm gay so I continue through high school at the end of high school still pretty oblivious to this and it's interesting like I look back now and there were things that you know that I I justified a way that were indications like there were certain actors that I was that I thought were really cool and I kind of saw it that way like I really like this guy I think he's really cool and when I look back now I was totally attracted to him and this was at a fairly young teenage age Um, I was really attracted to or thought was really cool Omri Katz um, he's the guy from the Disney movie Hocus Pocus and I was found myself really thinking Jonathan Taylor Thomas was cool and looking back it's I was I was attracted to them and I really liked the movie Top Gun and I realize now it's because I thought Tom Cruise was really attractive so there's these things that back then I just told myself I just think they're really cool and because I wouldn't let myself admit that I was attracted to them but I went through high school still in a lot of denial I had had thoughts that you know am I gay but I would explain that away About the time I was going on my mission, I was getting ready for that and I had my interview with the stake president to be allowed to go on my mission. And during that interview, one of the questions he's asked, and I still have no idea if this is a standard question. If it isn't, I have no idea why he asked me. I don't think I let on that I was was gay. Um, I didn't even know for myself, but maybe he picked up on it, maybe it's just a standard question. But he had asked me, do you experience same gender attraction? And he immediately followed that question with, because if you are, you know how that, you could imagine how that could be a problem on a mission. So right there, I went into panic, thinking, okay, well, if I am, I'm not gonna tell you, because it sounds like you're not gonna let me go on a mission if I tell you that. But I remember stopping and thinking, and asking myself, am I? Am I gay? And honestly saying to myself, no, I'm not. And I answered that question and said, no, I'm not. And things went on. So I went on my mission. Things were alright. My mission was rough. And people talk about the best two years. It definitely was a it was a good two years. It wasn't the best two years. I dealt with a lot of depression I was there during the 2002 winter olympics in utah that winter was rough i was in the netherlands where it's there's a lot of cloudiness and darkness in the winter and everywhere i went home was on tv because the olympics and everyone was sending me pictures of all the cool stuff they're doing back at home in utah during the olympics and i was depressed and lonely and homesick and i couldn't speak the language and didn't like my companion and it was rough but for all I fell in love with the Netherlands. I think it's an amazing country. I love the people. I love the language. I love the food. My favorite color is orange now, which I think stems a lot from living in the Netherlands where they love the color orange. But some other things that started to emerge for me were partway through my mission, I had a companion, really great guy, really got along with him, treated me really well. And I really liked him. He was a great friend. And I really felt... Once again, looking back, there was probably a bit of a crush there that I didn't admit to myself. Just, and I, I don't think he was gay. Um, he was always writing to about twelve girls back at BYU, but and always talking about when he gets home, the girls that the girl that he's gonna marry, and that's gonna be one of these ones. But and he got married pretty quick after getting home. Anyways, he would put his arm around me. He would, he was just physical and not a sexual. Way, but like, you know, I'd be laying on the bed and he'd jump on the bed next to me and sit close and talk. And that was really exciting for me. But at the same time, I felt like I was the worst person in the world, that I was aroused and excited by this. And on top of that, in the Netherlands, they are very uh, open minded, progressive people there. They were one of if not the first country to legalize same-sex marriages and that was in the year 2000 right before i got there in 2001 and they they were proud of that they were proud of the equality in their country and because of that pride that they had in that they weren't shy about it so it wasn't uncommon to see um advertisements and things depicting gay couples and it wasn't uh, uncommon to see, you know, gay couples walking down the street. I remember uh, one time we were visiting an less active uh, member of the church, and I remember she was showing us pictures of her her family, and she said, and I don't remember it, what it was if it was a niece or something, but she showed me a picture of um, her niece, and in the picture she was there with a woman. And she said, "This is her." Her wife and she followed that up right she's um she said dot con oak ok, meaning that you, you can do that that girls can can marry girls and she was proud of that and wanted to show that and so through this seeing all this it started bringing feelings up for me you know that connection with my companion and feeling just seeing it around me and the acceptance of it and seeing that life could be normal that way I started having a lot of feelings and and that was really the first time in my life that I admitted to myself you know what I I'm gay I was then feeling really bad I was feeling guilty I shouldn't be here on my mission because I'm gay and I felt really really guilty that I had enjoyed that physical connection with my companion and I didn't do anything wrong, there was nothing wrong with what that connection, there was nothing, I didn't break any rules, didn't break any commandments, it was more of just a, this feels nice, and, but I felt so guilty, I wrote in my weekly letter to the mission president, told him what was going on, and he actually never responded to that. And I remember the next time I had an in-person interview with him, We had our interview and he was about ready to end it and he said is there anything else and i said well did you read my letter and uh the truth is i don't think he did read the letter but he i I just went right on and told him what the letter had said but i'm pretty sure he never read that and um i was terrified i mean i had stressed the entire way to that meeting i was convinced that i was going to be sent home and I didn't get sent home but he wasn't particularly helpful just said you know basically work harder pray harder don't touch your companions was the gist of of what he said and so I went on and tried to follow those rules pushed this away and tried to ignore it obviously it was still there after my mission came home got into school and I just buried this pretend like it didn't exist I was going to school in Utah County, going to Utah Valley University, and uh, living with some roommates. And I I met this guy who was a an amazing person. He became still is one of my my best friends. We had met in a rock climbing class, and we ended up being roommates. He had a place in his a place available in his a room available in his apartment, and I moved in, and uh we i ended up getting a job at the same place he worked it was at this outdoor backpacking camping store and we spent every second together we hung out together we if sometimes we'd work together we would go camping every weekend or go on some adventure we hung out every night and um i just loved being around him it felt really good to have someone who i loved being around and he seemed to love being around me but the shit hit the fan and this girl got a job at the place where we worked and he immediately they worked one shift together and he immediately they spent every second together and i remember spending that first week just not even knowing what to do i sat in my room every evening Just completely depressed. Um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where else to go. I just, I felt like my heart had been ripped out. And I didn't admit it then. I remember asking myself, like, why are you acting like you got broken up with? You know, he's still around. He's still your friend. Um, They got engaged. I was going to be the best man at his wedding. Like, he's still there. But I was devastated. And Looking back now, I have to admit that I was in love with him. I didn't acknowledge it as that at the time. That went on for a while. I kind of got out of that slump, but I was still spent a lot of time alone. I was really depressed, and that was the first time since the mission that I really started facing this again, that I think I'm gay. And for the first time in my life, I started viewing pornography. I was just alone, super depressed, and I... Yep, gave it a try. Started with straight pornography. I still didn't want to admit that I was gay, but that very quickly just went to gay pornography. That added to the shame I was feeling about myself because now not only am I gay, but I'm doing this horrible, awful thing that is so evil and wrong. I hated myself. And after my friend got married, I was still really depressed. I moved into a new apartment and had new friends, but I was still dealing with this, I started chatting a little bit with some guys online. I never met anybody. I got onto some dating sites, um, gay dating sites, and I was just curious about it. But I finally hit this point where I had to fully admit I'm gay. Like this is it. But I also hit this place of I can't be Mormon. I'm going to have to leave the church. This is something that was super important to me. I was really active in the church. I just served a two-year mission and the church was not just a piece of my life, it was a huge part of my life. I realized that I, I think I'm going to have to leave the church. I wrote my mother a letter. I wish I still had it. I'd be curious to see what I what I said exactly. But I went and visited her, scared to death, and um, I gave it to her one time as I was leaving the house and got in my car and drove away. She immediately called me on my cell phone and I wouldn't answer the phone. I drove up the canyon and I just sat in my car and I cried and I cried and I cried. Before that, I had, when I had decided I'd have to leave the church, I had stopped wearing my garments for about a week and then I told my mom this. And while I was sitting up there crying, my sister called and I answered. I didn't realize she knew what was going on, but I should have. My mom, being panicked because um, I wasn't answering my phone, called my sister and she called me. She calmed me down and me to call my mom back and I called her and we talked. I decided for myself that you know what I'm going to give this another try. I'm going to try to do the church thing again and do what I'm supposed to be doing and Heavenly Father's going to bless me if I do what I'm supposed to be doing and so I started wearing my garments again and I doubled down and I tried to be the best darn church member I could be. I started dating again. There was a line in my patriarchal blessing For those of you who don't know what that is, that's an important blessing that kind of gives you an outline for kind of a path for your life that Mormons receive. And it's something you're supposed to refer back to throughout your life. And there was a line in there that I totally like twisted to mean it said something along the lines of surround yourself with people who hold your standards because it'll be from among your friends that your eternal companion will be chosen. So I took that. I totally twisted that to I mean, you know what? I need to get away from being on these gay sites. Those are people who don't hold my standards and I need to surround myself with people who do hold my standards because that's where I'm gonna find my eternal companion. So for me, that meant go to straight dating sites. So started doing that. I dated a few people and then um, I met this girl who was really fun to be around. We had a great time. We could talk for hours, and we had a lot of fun. Things went really quickly there. In my mind, I think I, I thought like, you know, I've dedicated myself to the gospel, so this is it. This is, you know, Heavenly Father's blessing me. He's telling me this is this is who you're supposed to marry. You know, we get along great. This must be it. Within three months, we were engaged. I did tell her about my same-sex attraction, as I called it then, but we both naively just thought that if we did what we're supposed to be doing, that that wouldn't be a problem. I don't think we really understood what that meant fully, so we got married about six months after we had met. Things were good. The dating was weird. I had to, once again, I was weird with the kissing and that kind of stuff. I felt I was, you know, this really good guy because I could stop you know oh you know things are getting a little too far we shouldn't go this far and but once we got married we got married in the uh washington dc temple mormon temple and you know things were okay for a while our sex life was okay you know i don't know what a normal newlywed sex life is supposed to be like but you know i was able to perform where it was enjoyable but about you know, three or four months, maybe six months into the marriage, this these stuff started coming up again, and I just couldn't ignore it, and I started having problems with pornography again. And you know, a year or so into the marriage, uh, she discovered that. And before that, I had actually sought out therapy, um, and I guess this is bringing it into um, the conversion therapy. I went online and I searched for resources for, I don't remember what I was searching for, but basically unwanted same-sex attraction. And I was led to, on the internet, Evergreen International, which I talked about in the last episode. And I called them and asked if they had any therapists they could refer me to and they referred me to a man at LDS Family Services which is the church's organization that provides therapy and they used to do adoptions and provide other resources. So I called this therapist and I was I was set like it had to be this guy. He was the name they'd give me. I called LDS Family Services. They told me he was too busy and that they could set me up with someone else and that all their therapists could help me with same sex attraction. And I said, no, I need to see this guy and they worked it out, got me in to see him. Looking back, I'm bothered that, you know, they just throw this into the category of just, you know, what everybody does. Helping somebody through this kind of conflict isn't something that just anybody can do. It takes some deeper understanding of the issue. So I'm kind of bothered that they were just going to pass me off to whatever therapist was available. I had some awareness of it that at the time, which is why I was so set that I needed to be this guy. And he was great. Like, I don't think it was unhelpful. And I don't know that I'd put it in the category of full conversion therapy. I don't remember him saying we were going to try to change your sexuality. I think I had that in mind that that was the goal, but I don't believe he ever said that his goal was to help me with my goals which were to stay married and to be able to have a good relationship with my wife so we continued to work through things and at this point I had been telling my wife she knew I was going to therapy but she didn't exactly know the reason and I had made something up that I you know I just had some stuff I needed to work through so she didn't know exactly what was going on I had mentioned earlier that she found out And that happened, I came home one night and she had found that I had been... It wasn't even pornography. I had watched a gay-themed show on Netflix and she had seen that. And that made it all come out and I told her that I was having problems. So at that point, she started to become more involved in therapy and we did some couples work and I continued to address the pornography problem in therapy. But finally, it got to a point where... I was feeling good. I felt like therapy was helpful, but I was still attracted to men, and that was not what I wanted to have happen. So I had gotten involved with Evergreen, as I had mentioned earlier, that was a church organization, not fully from the church, but supported by the church, and I'd gone to their conference, and at the conference, this is where I learned more about the idea of reparative therapy. Uh, Joseph Nicolosi, who I talked about in our last podcast, he was kind of, kind of, the guru, almost the founder of Reparative Therapy, and had several books. He was one of the speakers there, and he really pushed this idea. He he talked about, you know, the experience of a gay man. In a sense, looking back, it's kind of like using what is the experience of most gay men. We have a commonality in that we're all gay. There's certain assumptions you can make, and those don't always fit for everyone, but they fit for a large majority and typically those are, you know, tend to be closer to their mother, tend to not be involved in sports, tend to be more friends with girls, those kinds of things. But he presented those things that these are the issues. And I'm hearing that and thinking, oh my gosh, this is my problem. I just have to fix these things. At that point, I had gone with my wife and we, I opened up to my father and told him that I was gay. Because of this conference, I remember telling my mom that she needed to basically back off, and I told my dad that he needed to be more involved. Really, I kind of blamed them that I was gay, um, because that's what I had been taught at this this event. But they were very supportive, and it was good in the sense that we, we connected, I opened up with them, but I think it hurt things as well, and I'll get back to that. But also at this conference, there was another speaker who was David Matheson, who I've also spoken about, and he was a local guy, and I thought, this is the guy I need to see. So I actually terminated therapy with my current therapist and decided I needed to see David Matheson. I couldn't really afford to see David Matheson. He didn't take insurance, and he was pretty expensive for the area. But I felt like I needed to pay this amount of money because I had to fix this to save my marriage. And I started seeing David Matheson, and again, we started working on a lot of trauma. The idea was basically that my... Homosexuality was a result of traumatic experiences in my past, not a strong relationship with my father, too strong of a relationship with my mother, not connecting with male peers, and having too many female friends, and those kinds of things. And I started analyzing my life from that perspective, and while my life didn't fully fit that, I would make it fit, because I had to have an answer for why I'm gay. But from that, David Matheson invited me to go to the Journey into Manhood Weekend. This was an organization, or a weekend, an experiential weekend put on by an organization called People Can Change, of which David Matheson was one of the founders. And there was one of these that was coming up and he encouraged me to go to this. So I thought, you know, this is what I need to do. So I signed up for it, paid the money to go, I wouldn't say this was a bad experience, it was interesting, it was like nothing I've ever done, and I got into a lot of deep stuff, I hit a lot of emotion. I don't completely disagree with these weekends, what I do disagree with is that they're presented in a way that, from a very reparative therapy perspective, that if you can fix these issues in your past, if you can connect with men in a healthy I say that in quotes in a healthy way then that will take care of your same-sex attraction if you can work through your body image issues that will fix your same-sex attraction if you can disconnect from your mother that will work through your same-sex attraction issues and this is done in a very experiential way Uh, there are lots of processes where Traumatic experiences are brought up that you kind of work through the emotions around those, where they bring up just kind of general experiences that a lot of men have. Things like feeling rejected in regards to sports, or feeling overconnected with women in your life, um, feeling disconnected from men in your life, feeling disconnected from your father. So, there are all these things that you kind of join together. On, but then they'd go into more individual stuff as well. But you process through all these deep things, and the idea is that if you work through these issues, then that will fix your homosexuality, um, or at least diminish the homosexuality, increase heterosexual feelings. So I decided I'm going to go to this weekend, and through that, I met a lot of great friends. I did the weekend, and then I got really involved with this organization because it felt good. And I think for the first time, it felt so good because for the first time, I could just talk about my sexuality with other people who understood what I was going through. And I had never done that before. I had never spoken to another gay person, to my knowledge. Um, They got me. I could connect with them. And I I had this new group of friends. And I started staffing these weekends, meaning that I would go and be one of the the staffers um, to help people through this stuff on these weekends. And I did that probably eight to ten times. And I eventually um, uh, went to, they had a second weekend that was called Journey Beyond, which was kind of the, the second weekend that you go through that was supposed to be more intense and you do more intense things. And I went through that and got into some deep emotional stuff and I felt like, oh, this is what I need to do. And I staffed that weekend once. And I'm going to talk a lot more specifically about these weekends in another podcast. I can't go into detail in this podcast or it's going to be super super long so I'm just going to do a a special podcast about these weekends that will be coming shortly but at this point in my life this was what I was going to do I was going to stay in a heterosexual marriage I needed to make that work that's what God wanted me to do that was what was going to make me happy according to everyone else in these weekends a lot of times it was taught that being in a gay relationship is not happiness. That those people who are in those relationships, they think they're happy, but it's not a real happiness. And I I believed that. That's what I was being told. And I think in a lot of ways, I felt like this was really working. I felt like it was helping. And even though over time, I kind of got to the point that this. I'm not trying to change my sexual orientation, I'm just trying to manage it so that I can stay in my marriage. Um, I think there was always a bit of me that thought, you know, if I can do this better, then I'll be able to fix it or make it go away. One of the things was that if, you know, you're feeling attraction, um, you're feeling that really strong, you know, I want to go out and be with a guy, then what I need to do is go have healthy non-sexual connection with other men. And I I did this, and I'm not gonna say it was bad. It was good to go hang out with my friends and to have some good connection and even some uh, non-sexual physical connection, you know, arms around each other, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I would feel good with that and it would kind of settle that desire, but it never got rid of it. It felt good because I'm gay. I like being close to other men. That's what I, I desire. That's why it felt good. But it wouldn't, it would just kind of mask that depression, that desire for a very short period of time, and then I'd need it more. So I just continued in this process, and it took a new level when David Matheson, who was one of the men who started the journey into manhood weekend, who was also my therapist, as I mentioned I had since stopped seeing him, and I felt like I was in a good place, and I didn't need to go to therapy anymore. I felt like I was doing well. I At the time, and this had nothing to do with my sexuality, I was in school to be a therapist, a mental health counselor, and that was a lot. I had worked at a lot of youth treatment centers. I just loved being able to work and help people. I was working at the time in a youth treatment center, and David Matheson, I hadn't worked with him for two years or so, reached out to me and said that he was wanting to expand his practice and was wondering if I would like to come work for him. And I really did have a strong desire to, I wanted to help other guys the way that I had been helped. So I jumped on that and I went and I worked for David Matheson. At the beginning, there was still very much a reparative therapy leaning to the work that we did. It was never right out said that we're going to change this, but there was a lot of idea that we can diminish this we can control this through doing certain things and i have a lot of sadness that i felt that because i i knew if i was really honest with myself that nothing had changed i was still gay but i wanted so badly for it to to be working that i kind of convinced myself that it was working so i worked with him for several years and over time his perspective started changing he started working uh a lot with a group of gay affirmative therapists and they had come together to kind of try to bridge the gap between these two viewpoints and through that his perspective started to change and the clinic's perspective started to change and it went more to a an affirmative therapist's perspective and so the perspective then came and this is really the perspective that I still hold is that we're not going to change this that's not the goal now if For your own personal reasons you don't want to pursue gay relationships Uh, we can work with you on being able to try to have the happiest life that you can have but realize this isn't going to go away and there were people who i helped to chose um, that were choosing to pursue gay relationships and those that weren't and but that kind of started to change but i had still gotten involved in this um, kind of reparative therapy perspective now uh, david matheson left that clinic and it was i was still working there with several other men when i eventually came out and said you know i'm i'm not going to keep doing this anymore i would i felt very much not welcome at that clinic anymore so there was still very much a perspective that we help people who are following the mormon perspective um you know one client one client one colleague said to me you might feel more accepted and more supportive if you went and worked at another clinic my boss at the time he made the comment about you know we we have a lot of mormon bishops that refer to us now we want to um, make sure that we're providing therapy that is conducive to those those beliefs so you know i want to make sure that we can you're still going to be doing that. And, you know, I said, you know, I'm not doing anything different. I'm just choosing something different in my life. But it became more and more uncomfortable and hostile, and I eventually left and found a new place to work where I'm very, very happy and where I currently practice now, and I can still do what I'm doing, but my colleagues are very supportive of, of me and my life now. I'm, I'll go into more kind of perspective as to that process for myself that shift but in general what how does somebody get to this point why do people find themselves in a reparative therapy situation and I think to understand that we have to look at the the culture yes reparative therapy oftentimes does not presented that it's coming from any kind of religious perspective you know people will see reparative therapists who have a very different religious background than themselves but generally I think it's something like 90 percent or ni- more than 90 percent of people who engage in reparative therapy are doing it out of a religious purpose um, that's what it's driven by that this behavior is wrong and oftentimes you'll hear them say you know I have unwanted same-sex attraction or I'm not happy with my sexuality and when you ask them the reason why that is is um, I want to have a traditional family which if you look is coming from their religious upbringing they say you know it's not what God wants me to do I want to follow God's plan and this isn't part of God's plan so it's oftentimes very much motivated by that and you think that someone who grows up in a culture where the idea of homosexuality is seen as an abomination is seen as not following God's plan that it is very difficult to want to follow that even though it's what they deeply desire they don't want to do that because it means abandoning a lot of things that are very important to them Um, they're going to lose their their community sometimes lose their family or at least lose the way their family connections look they're worried about um, losing friendships not being welcome at church anymore which for some of them that's their social group that's where they have always felt connected that's their tribe and so there's a lot of effort to make this go away and when it's it's taught that homosexuality is not the way god made a person it's easy to think that this can be changed and to do everything possible to make it change if we look at president kimball and what he said about it it being homosexuality uh, from the miracle of forgiveness i read this earlier but i'm going to read it again he says after consideration of the evil aspects the ugliness and the prevalence of the evil of homosexuality the glorious thing to remember is that it is curable and forgivable the lord has promised that all sins can be forgiven except certain ones enumerated and this evil was not among those named thus it is forgivable if totally abandoned and if the repentance is sincere and absolute certainly it can be overcome for there are numerous happy people who were once involved in its clutches and who have since completely transformed their lives. Therefore, to those who say that this practice or any other evil is incurable, I respond, how can you say the door cannot be opened until your knuckles are bloody, till your head is bruised, till your muscles are sore? It can be done." So that right there, that's the perspective that um, a lot of these people are coming from in trying to overcome their homosexuality. Um, This is the prophet of the time and this this book is still used very commonly that if it's not going away I'm just not trying hard enough I just need to pound harder on that door I need to wait till my knuckles are bloody and my head is bruised so when it's not going away they just keep trying harder and harder and you see a lot of people double down and they are doing more therapy and more groups and uh, praying harder and going to the temple more just trying to make this go away because if it's not, it's because I'm just not trying hard enough. So that's, that's where this perspective is coming from. A lot of people f- who aren't from an orthodox belief system don't understand why people would engage in reparative therapy or even why therapists would provide that. And what you have to see is that a lot of times these therapists are coming at this from that same perspective it's a religious perspective and if you're not religious at all this might not make sense to you at all but that's the belief if I do this then I'm promised it will change I'm promised by the prophet that this can be cured therefore it must be able to so I'm going to keep doing this and keep doing this and I'm even going to convince myself that it has changed in reality it hasn't so I think I need to go to more therapy or and that's where the therapists are coming from. Well, it can be changed, so we just have to work harder. And they tell the clients that. And so I don't see all reparative therapists, and that's not to say not some, but I don't see all of them as being bad people. I see them as trying their best to to follow their religion in what feels right to them and not fully understanding that what feels right might not actually be right and what they're told might not actually be accurate, and I think that this is really dangerous place for individuals to be. It's scary, and it can be really damaging for people. So I'm going to end this podcast here. This has taken way longer than I thought, so this is going to be in even more episodes. I want to talk about my own experience of transitioning out of this, um, but I also want to talk about Specifics of those weekends I talked about, the Journey into Manhood weekend, etc. But before I end today, I want to take just a second and introduce you to a couple of really awesome women. This is uh, Mary and Shelley. They are the hosts of the podcast Latter day Lesbian, which I think gives a great perspective of someone who has um, been in the church. Um, Similar situation to mine, but has now left hearing her viewpoints, how uh, she has been affected by kind of the teachings uh, that she's received. And whether you agree with it or not, I think it's good to understand other people's perspectives. So here's a little intro to their podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly, and we are the hosts of Latter-day Lesbian. The podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl trying to figure out her life. That's right, and that ex-Mormon gay girl is me. Check this out. I was born and raised Mormon. I got married young, because that's what you do. Then I had seven kids. Then I left the Mormon church. And then I came out of the closet. And then I got divorced. Poo, that's a lot. What's next, Shelly? I don't know. still trying to figure it out. It's life, and we want to talk about it. Okay, so join us. Latter-day Lesbian is available on your favorite podcast. Podcast app And thanks. Talk to you later. So there they are. Really awesome people. I love hearing their podcasts. A new one comes out every Sunday and I just look forward to it every week. So give them a listen, subscribe to their channel, give them a rating, they're really awesome people. So with that said, this has been Rainbow Mormon Podcast. My name is Danny Caldwell, and I am so happy that you have been here with us. If you are liking what you're hearing, please go to your favorite podcast provider and subscribe to it, give us a rating. You can also find me on Facebook at Rainbow Mormon Podcasts. Please go like that page and check out our website, uh, rainbowmormon.org, uh, where you can leave a donation if you want to hear more. This podcast survives off of donations, so please go there and make a donation, and I would also love to hear from you. I want more friends, so send me a message on Facebook, Send me a, or, or you can send me an email at uh, rainbowmormon at gmail.com. The music for this episode was provided by Blue Dot Session. The artwork you can find on our Facebook page and on our website is by Jamie Webb. Thank you and can't wait to talk to you next time.